Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. We are talking about programming with dependent types, and I would like to talk about singletons, singleton types. Now, this is a topic that is relevant if you are trying to program, as we've been speaking about the past couple episodes, with indexed types like a vector type that's indexed by the length of the vector, so it's just like a list, except the type tells you how long it is, thus letting you statically relate lengths of input and output vectors to functions and things like this. If you're trying to program with index types like this, but you don't want to go, or you cannot, or whatever, you've decided not to go whole hog for full dependent types, where types can contain arbitrary program expressions, right? I mean... On the face of it, that sounds quite alarming. <laughs> what does it mean to have a type that contains a program expression that either diverges or raises an exception? Or I mean, I mean, what, what are you going to do with that? Well, you know, so this, these pose interesting challenges in language design. But so a, a nice safe starting point for this kind of language design is to say, well, we're going to just take our index expressions from some very safe. Uh, syntactic category where we don't have to worry about crazy stuff that we don't know how to deal with as appearing in types. And so in Haskell, this is supported. And I realized last time, this is really like a trip down memory lane for me, or actually, I, I don't really remember it that well. So it's like a trip down, I think I forgot it lane. Uh, and because I studied this stuff quite some time ago, but haven't looked at it for a while. So in this literature, they call um, generalized algebraic data types, GADTs, are essentially indexed data types. And the key thing about, as of the sort that we've been speaking about, and the key thing about programming with GADTs is that when you do a pattern match on a value in this, of a, of a type with an index, like when you do a pattern match on a vector, let's say, uh, in, the, in the different cases, you get to refine your, your your type. You learn some new information in the cases, depending on what you've matched on, about the indices. So when you do a pattern match on a vector, and if it's the nil vector, the empty vector, you learn in the, that branch of the pattern match, you get static information that tells you, hey, that length index, let's say it was n, has got to be zero. Because the index for an empty vector is zero. And similarly, if you match on a vector cons, you learn that, hey, that index has got to be the successor of some other n, where n is the length of the tail of that vector you just are matching on. So you get, they call it type refinement. You get to, you, you started out not knowing anything about the length of this vector. Let's say you just knew it was some n, and as you do pattern matching, you learn something new. You refine the type. In each case, you learn, oh, it's not just a vector of length n, it's a vector of length 0. In the other case, you learn, oh, it's not just a vector of length that, it's a vector of length successor of some n prime. So uh, so generalized algebraic data types, GADTs, or GADITs, as some people say it, uh, are it's a language feature that lets you do this kind of type refinement for indices when you're pattern matching on a value of an indexed data type. And so that's, you need GADITs really to do this kind of thing. And 
you're in full dependently type programming, you're, you have something similar. You need this kind of type refinement if you have indices. And so, anyhow, so returning to the question of, we've been talking about the limitations of programming with index types where the indices are not program expressions, but from some other syntactic category. And the main limitation is, is that because you're, these indices cannot actually contain real program expressions, you can't write functions that say things like, I'm going to take in a number and return a vector, a number n, and return a vector of length n. You can't really do that because the, that number, you know, to, to do, to make a, to compute a vector of length n from a number n, you're going to need to recurse over n, right? Otherwise, you don't really know anything about it. You wouldn't be able to make a vector of that length. Uh, so, and that's, but you're not allowed to do that, right? That, that n, if it's uh, not coming from the realm of the program expressions, your program can't look at it. It's only there for typing purposes, right? So in a sense, these indices and, and this particular approach to dependently type programming, and as, I mean, if you want to call it that, indexed programming, I, I think this is, this is uh, definitely close enough to dependently type programming to full dependent types that we want to certainly consider it uh, under that umbrella, even if we don't want to call it full dependent typing, which, which it's not, because we have to have types be able to contain program expressions. So anyway, this, the, that, given that limitation, you know, some people realized, and this, is, this idea is, goes back a ways. I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly how far back, but um, it goes back some time, like at least 2010 maybe, so maybe at least a decade old, perhaps older. That we can use, uh, we can use, we can make a connection between program expressions and these index expressions with an indexed, with another index type. So they call these singletons. So the idea is that if you want to do this operation where you say, I'm going to take a natural number as input to my function and return a vector of that length, you know, so take in n and return a vector of length n, well, what we'll do is we'll take in uh, a, a funny n, an n whose type says, I'm a natural number, and by the way, if you want to know what natural number I am in the indexed world, it's this. So instead of having a type nat for natural numbers, you have a type nat n, where n is one of these index expressions. Now, this seems really kind of convoluted, and <laughs> I think it, it, it is kind of convoluted, and people, I think, would generally agree that that is, but it is a good workaround if you're not prepared to bite the bullet and have full dependent typing. It's a pretty clever and pretty manageable workaround. Uh, I say this not having actually tried to program with it in, in Haskell. You have this, actually, in Haskell. You can do this kind of stuff. So, but it's... It's it's one way to go forward, and that's and it's a way that was was uh, the the best way to go in Haskell for a while until now Haskell's wanted to add dependent types to, uh, completely here, or at least yes, yeah, some ability for index expressions to be program expressions. So anyway, so again, the singleton types idea, and why do they call them singleton types? Because you're having a type that just has one value. Uh, so if you have if you have the type, let's say, let's just pronounce it singleton nat three, okay? Then what that's saying is that has just one value. It has the an actual program expression 
successor of successor of successor of zero uh, as determined by its index. So, the, again, the, the idea is that we kind of bridge between program expressions and index expressions with this type for program expressions whose index sort of counterpart is, is whatever, is three, let's say. And once you've made this bridge, now your program can recurse over a value in the singleton type because, hey, that's actually a program expression now. You're allowed to do stuff with it. And as you recurse over it, the index is going to get refined, and that index is what you can then mention later on in some type. So you can say, I take in singleton nat n, and I return a vector base of length n. And that's totally fine. And there's a Haskell library, the last thing I wanted to say about this, there's a Haskell library called singletons, which I sort of stumbled upon as I was, again, in a rare and um, <laughs> I can't promise often to be repeated active preparation for talking with you through the podcast here. I was looking into this sort of thing in Haskell a little bit online, and I stumbled across some, somebody's pretty nice blog post talking about the Singleton's Library, and I was pleasantly surprised to see that the Singleton's Library was um, authored by Richard Eisenberg, and there's a paper by Eisenberg and Weirich about the library. And even more interestingly, dis- discovered that uh, the maintainer, current active maintainer of this is Ryan Scott, who is a computer science, or, or, or at least the last I had had a chance to know of him was a doctoral student at Indiana working on programming languages and apparently on the side keeping up uh, the Singleton's library for Haskell. And it's a library that tries to make it easier using a template Haskell, so basically using metaprogramming, tries to make it easier for you to program in this Singleton's idiom. Because, as they point out in the paper, if you want to do work this way, instead of having a single natural number type, you now have three natural number types. <laughs> oh my, this sounds a little painful, uh, and Singleton's library is trying to help, you know, help with that pain, right? Why do you have three natural number types? Well, you've got the uh, index expression natural number type, you've got the good old, just boring, regular program expression natural number type, and then you've got this singleton natural number type. You don't want to program with these singleton types maybe all over your code. So uh, this library lets you sort of write some write data types and code just as the regular program expression style that you would want. So you just have nat. It's not indexed or anything weird like that. And then it will automatically generate for you the index, ex- index domain data type, so the data kind in Haskell, and it will generate the singleton type which connects these. So, um, pretty handy if you're going to be working with this. Again, I, I can recommend it only sort of conceptually. I haven't actually tried any of this myself in Haskell. Um, if I had a little more free time, that would be pretty cool to check that out. But anyway, um, so I just wanted to tell you a little bit about that. And this is sort of an important piece of the puzzle in the sort of pre, precursors to dependently type programming. Uh, of course, there's that's sort of one strand of precursors. Another strand of precursors is coming from pure type theory, and then people try, wanting to try to make type theory more and more like a sensible programming language. Uh, anyway, so we'll touch on more of these topics about dependently type programming in practice in following episodes. Thank you again for listening.